Welcome to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today Nathan writes in and he wants to know, Dave, I've been listening to you talk about loving God and loving others and find your answers to be helpful. Well, thank you, Nathan. But he, but he continues. But to push the conversation a little further, I want to know... If you can talk about why and how to grow in theological maturity in a Christian life. Well, Nathan, this is an excellent question. I very much appreciate you asking because I think this is this gets to the heart of many issues um, that we are facing in the church. So hopefully my answer is helpful to you and also to our listeners. So the first thing to say, as many people know, theology is the study of God. It's the study of God. So the first thing to say here is the relationship between doctrine and theology. And the thing to say here is is that doctrine comes from the Word. Doctrine comes from the Word. And theology is the application of our doctrine. And R.C. Sprout, he's famous for saying that everyone is a theologian. The only question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. You know, the atheist has a theology. Uh, The Christian has a theology. The Mormon has a theology. And so on and so forth. And so, whether, whether we, when we're coming to scripture, again, we need to understand that doctrine comes from the word. So when we're reading, uh, for example, each of the Gospels have their, their different focus. Uh, for example, John wants uh, his readers to understand more of the person and the work of Christ. And so he sets forth to do that. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the Gospel that, that really highlights that. And the point here is, is that it helps us to learn more about the personal work of Christ. Now, Hebrews, for example, it helps us to learn about, among other things, uh, more about the sufficiency of Christ, um, along with the high priestly ministry of Jesus, the intercessory ministry of Jesus, how Jesus is the, the mediator of the new covenant and more. And, and what does that mean for our lives? Well, the more that we understand how Jesus is, is our high priest. The way we're going to understand in the midst of whatever we're going through in life, for example, here's the theology, the application of that. We're going to understand in the midst of whatever we're going through that that Jesus hasn't left us, that he is for us, that that he is faithful to his promises, uh, faithful to his revealed character in in scripture, that he's utterly sufficient in, in every way, and he will always help us, always be with us. He's all-knowing and all-seeing and ever-present and and loving and caring and he's there for us and well that helps us in innumerable ways helps us in in trials it helps us in in hardship it helps us with difficult people these are just some outworking of doctrine from for example from the gospel of john and in hebrews and everyone is a theologian so we have to grow in these things. So I want to turn and talk now about theological maturity. And maybe we'll come back to that. How do we process theology uh, through a biblical worldview in another episode? But the first thing I want to say about theological maturity is that it begins with the Bible. It begins with the Bible. It begins with our conviction about Scripture itself. So Scripture is not just a book that we open and that we say, well, these these this book is is just saying some some nice things to us no it's it's more than saying nice things it's more than 
uh, a book of fairy tales and, and myths and those kind of things. It's it's the word of God. It's it's the inspired, inerrant, without error, sufficient, clear, and authoritative word. That means that it's binding on our lives. And so when we come to theolog- the topic of theological maturity, we have to have the right set of convictions about the Bible itself. Because if we don't, we'll just come, for example, to Galatians 5, 22 through 23 and to the fruits of the Spirit. We'll say, well, you know, I don't really have to have those things in our life, you know, because of, because of, we've been saved by grace. I can, I can do whatever I want and, and those kind of things. And actually, these are fruits. They're marks. The fruits of the Spirit are marks that we truly belong to Christ, that Christ is our Lord. And we are growing in these things slowly and surely and steadily and they're being displayed in our life and and the practical fruit of of holiness the holiness of god is is being worked into our lives and by the way um just to be clear here as we continue on i could camp on any number any one of these for a very long time and so i'm i'm kind of rushing through these because i don't want to I don't want this episode to go too long. So I just want you to know that these are all important to think about. Hopefully this episode will stimulate your thinking. Theological maturity demonstrates itself in humility. And so the goal of theology is worship, not only information. You see, what when we truly understand God and his ways, we will be humble. Uh, Augustine said that the Christian life is humility, humility, humility. John Calvin followed him and said, the Christian life is humility, humility, humility. Okay, guys, that's two of the greatest theologians the church has ever produced. Probably the the two greatest theologians in the history of the church, Augustine and Calvin. And they're saying that the Christian life is humility, humility, and humility. So theological maturity demonstrates itself in humility. It has a goal to worship God wholly, to live before his face. We we can't fake it. We can't pretend. And so the things that we know we we should do. That's why James one twenty six tells us to not only be hearers, but doers of the word. So the goal of theology is worship, not just to fill our heads with information only. And this kind of relates. Theological maturity should lead to loving God and others. After all, this is the great commandment. This is not the great suggestion, it's the great commandment. And Jesus commands us in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through 40, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor. Well, guess what? We should love, if we say that we love God, um, we should love others. If we if we say that we love God and we, we don't actually intentionally, purposely love others, then we have good reason to question whether we actually love God, right? Here's the next point. I want to spend some time on this one and the last one. Theological maturity demonstrates itself in being charitable with other viewpoints. Learning from them to a degree, but still being a Berean, searching the scripture to see if these things are so. Now, now Paul commends the Bereans in Acts 17, and he commends the Thessalonians for searching the scriptures to see if they are these things are so. And so we, we should do the same. We need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. That means that Scripture, our theological and doctrinal convictions about Scripture, they inform 
and help us to have a grid through which to see not just the world, but other people's viewpoints. See, the more that we're saturating our heart and our mind in Scripture, that is, by daily reading the Word and, and those kind of things, the more we'll begin to see other people's viewpoints, you know, their viewpoints through the Scriptures. Now, it's important to distinguish here. When we're talking about other people's viewpoints, I'm not saying there's there's first order of theology, there's second order of theology, and there's third order of theology. Now, first order of theology is is things that Paul says are of utmost importance. They are central to the gospel. And now there could be a lot that's said about this, okay, um, and and rightly so, because if we get the gospel wrong, what is the gospel? If we get the gospel wrong, then you know. There's no being charitable here. You know, we are in error. We should be we should be uh, silenced. We should be rebuked. So there's there's different levels of being charitable, and this is not one. We have to confront on this one. Uh, for example, if somebody gets justification wrong, if somebody gets adoption wrong, if somebody gets penal substitutionary atonement wrong, if we get the atonement wrong, or yeah, if we get the atonement wrong, if we get reconciliation, redemption, if we get, you know, anything related essentially to the person and the work of Christ, the Trinity, um, hell being a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. If somebody denies the reality of sin, if somebody denies um, Adam as a as a real person in real history. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we could we could say here about first order theology. I could fill a whole episode here. Now the, the second one, second order theology, and the second and the third one. You know, oh, and the first order theology. Another thing, another really big one that I almost missed. I probably would have heard about this. The second coming that definitely is in first order theology. Ah, okay, second order theology, third order. I'm just gonna lump those two together. Okay. Let's talk about, you know, there's there's a significant disagreement about, you know, the timing of the Lord's return, for example. You know, some people believe in, you know, the rapture and other people don't. Uh, other people question, uh, you know, Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians disagree on infant baptism, for example. Just just one. How do we how do we be charitable with one another? But how do we search the scriptures to see if these things are so? Well, we we search the scriptures. We we look up what what does baptism mean in the Bible. We look up, you know, for example, uh, on you know the timing of the Lord's return and those kind of things. We study the scriptures. We but and we and we 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 don't just study one passage. We look at what the whole Bible has to say about this. That's what it means to be a marine. You know, it's not just to to come and say, oh, well, this one passage says this, and so this is why I think that we have to see the Bible as a whole. The whole Bible is clear, you know. And we ourselves have to study, you know. And, and on these kind of issues, uh, we have to be charitable with one another. We have to be willing to say, okay, well, these these are not related directly to the gospel. Now, what some when some people hear that, what they hear is, oh, it's... These things are inconsequential, so they have no impact on how I do my Christian life and, and ministry. And that's absolutely untrue. Like I said, <laughs> there's a difference for a reason between Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians. For a reason, uh, and it goes back to the mode of baptism. Do we baptize infants? Are they part of the you know covenant children? You know, and so so we baptize them in in water and and commit them to God, or um, do we baptize by immersion? Now, 
even Baptists are not against, for example, uh, you know, dedicating a child, but they would disagree with, you know, a Presbyterian um, on baptizing an infant. So, so, but we 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 aim to be charitable. We we aim to understand the the best thinking. Now, I say best thinking because. There's caricatures. There's there's wrong views on every position, and so accurately being able to teach on another person's view demonstrates great theological, you know, maturity. It it says, okay, well, I don't want to just be heard on on my points um, of view. Instead, I want to learn and I want to understand. I I want to be able to articulate that other person's position um, succinctly in a way that they will understand, we're able to recognize even. I think if we're not willing to do that, we're we're not yet ready to be charitable with other people. There's a difference between between just okay, well that's your view, right? And and actually being loving, being able to engage and and this requires honestly, it requires being what James 1 talks about, being slow to speak and quick to listen. Being slow to speak and quick to listen. We have to be willing to ask questions and say, not make presumptions and say, well, that's what you're saying. Um, no, 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 no. That's that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is slowing down and saying, you know what, I, I'm not really sure that I understand exactly what you're saying. Can you can you explain what you mean? You know, um, and then and then uh, asking, oh, well, what I heard you say is is that right and the other person says oh no that's not right you know actually what i'm trying to say is this and and we go we keep doing that and we aim for understanding we aim to understand one another's views and then to engage those views and to to learn from one another and you know i i personally found this the most meaningful thing in my own Christian life, um, there's a variety of issues that are related to second and third order theology where I've grown immensely and deepened in my convictions and, and even changed my convictions on some points, you know. But why? Why? Because I want to grow. I, I want to be informed in my thinking by Scripture and to go where Scripture is going to, to think what Scripture is, is teaching. You know, other people might you know, again, charitably disagree with me. And that's okay. But I'm convinced in my own mind that this is what Scripture teaches because I've actually done my own study prayerfully, my own prayerful study of of Scripture and the, the, the relevant passages and the positions and the viewpoints and come to my own thoughts on it, you know, from Scripture. But but even there, that means that we need to be able to learn from even being having our own convictions and studying things. We still need to be charitable with others, you know, and loving. We are, we're, our theology should be marked by love and gentleness, not by harshness. Okay, so there's a lot more that can be said about that. But again, you know, I said each of these points could really be a podcast. So the last point here is theological maturity demonstrates itself in contending for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, so as to make disciples of the nations, including those who oppose biblical orthodoxy. Now, let me say this again. Theological maturity demonstrates itself in contending for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, so as to make disciples of the nations, including those who oppose biblical orthodoxy. Well, earlier in my previous answer to the to the last point, I mentioned first order theology. And let's say somebody, this is a very real case, 
you know, a few years ago, Rob Bell came out and, and he denied, he denied, you know, the, the reality of hell being a, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. You know, that is outside the bounds of biblical orthodoxy. And so it was right for, for God's people to stand up and say that's outside of biblical orthodoxy. It is right and good for, for people to say when somebody says that Jesus' death in our place and for our sin is cosmic child abuse, it is right for God's people to rise up and say, no, sir, that is incorrect. Jesus died and paid the penalty, the full penalty, in our place and for our sin, uh, so that the white-hot fury of God the Father would no longer burn against us, and we could have our sins imputed to Christ and be forgiven of our sins. No, sir, that, that is actually biblically correct and biblically faithful. So when Jude says that we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, that is a great need in our day. Great need in our day. In fact, if we, we understand more of what God has said in his word, we will be able to do this. More of, If we understand and be able to think through these things. Okay, when we're talking about contending with opposing worldviews and points, and, and, and I'm probably going to have to do another episode on this, but the point is, biggest takeaway here is when we are engaging with people outside the bounds of biblical orthodoxy, we are not opposed to people. People are created in the image and the likeness of God. We are not opposed to people. We are engaging ideas. We are engaging worldviews. We are seeking to persuade them. This is one of the reasons why when I'm talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm asking a question. We talked about asking questions last week. Good questions. I'm asking them, even though I know the answer. Who is Jesus? Tell me, who is Jesus? That is what the Bible want, is answering. The whole scripture is about that question. Who is Jesus? You know, what does he come to do? So I'm asking those people that oppose biblical art, tell me about your understanding of Jesus. And, and I'm doing that. I know what they're going to say. But I want to engage them. I want to have a conversation about these things with them. And so I'm asking them these questions to engage them. I'm asking these questions about those other people who, who say that they're Christians and yet they deny biblical orthodoxy. You know, we, we, I earlier talked about, you know, first order theology, issues related directly to the gospel, which Paul calls, you know, of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. That, those are issues that we have to stand up and we have to say, no, no. If you're going to deny these things, about the person and the work of Christ and the gospel itself. No, sir, we cannot recognize you as a Christian. And then we seek to persuade. We seek to say, no, this is what actually Scripture teaches. And so we begin to instruct. We begin to show how these things are so. So we, when we're contending for the faith, we're not contending against people. And we are not, and hear me when I say this, we are not being contentious. We are engaging people's ideas. And their worldview. And you know what? That takes time. It takes time. It takes, it takes getting into and understanding the point of view that a person is are articulating their worldview. What they believe about life and the world around them. That takes time, you know? And, but, let's say, let's say somebody is, let's say somebody is very clearly, plainly saying, you know what? All of life is, is about being happy, right? So, so you might hear that on, you know, TBN or something like that. Well, your life, just be happy. You know, God wants you to be only happy, only happy. That's all he's concerned about. Well, it's certainly true that God is 
God is for our happiness. But he is not only for our happiness. God also desires us to be holy. Because he is holy. And through his son he has made us holy. Positionally. He has given us a new identity. And a new purpose. And a new mission. In, in and through the gospel. So that we can put to, sin, put to death our sin. And grow in his grace. Become like his son. And radiate his holiness uh, to others. But we ourselves will never be fully holy until uh, we are glorified, until we are like, fully like Jesus. And that's not going to happen, my friends, until we die. And so, you know, these are just some things that we need to keep in mind. Whether you're watching a TV preacher or listening to a podcast or whatever. Even me, even me here on this podcast. What you need to do is ask, is what Dave or what this preacher is saying, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Does it line up with what scripture actually teaches? Is it a new doctrine? You know what, friends? The church has been around now 2,018 years. You know, we have a lot of issues, but the thing is, is that that's a whole lot of people that have done a whole lot of thinking on a whole lot of topics. And so if there's some new doctrine that somebody is espousing, you know, likely, it's likely, highly, highly likely that the church has condemned it already, you know, because, for example, you know, the church has condemned, you know, the, the doctrines of, uh, for example, the Mormons, you know, in the early church, they dealt with people that believe the same things. And so these are these are things that we have to grow in. We have to grow in engaging ideas and engaging worldviews. Because God created people in his image and likeness. It's it's mature to, and the most loving thing that we can do, to confront those who oppose biblical orthodoxy. But we do so not motivated by one-upmanship. We do so not to gain, you know, points or, you know, whatever, anything like that. Instead, we, we engage with people who oppose biblical orthodoxy because we love God. And we love them. And we want them to come out of air. And we want them to come into the light, into the truth, to know the Son who, through Christ, desires to free them from the bondage of theological air. And so, here's some thoughts. Some thoughts. Quite a few of them, I know. Um, could say more. Already gone too long. Um, I know. But I hope that this episode just gets you thinking about theological maturity, Nathan, and anyone else who listens, and that you find it helpful. Um, I know that I haven't said, again, I just want to say as I wrap up this episode, I know that I haven't said everything. I know that there's more that can be said, but I, I prayerfully hope that you'll focus on growing yourself first and foremost in grace. That's how you're going to love God more. And that's going to enable you to love others, to engage others, to engage your fellow Christians in a manner in a loving manner, and those who oppose biblical truth. All right. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.